May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, we are just over a month out from the first caucuses and primaries of what will certainly be a very interesting presidential election year. Just last month, we voted and elected some new local leaders. So I ask you the question, what do you look for in your leaders? What do you expect from them? Last month, Covington elected a new mayor, Ms. Fleeta Baggett. So, so what are you expecting from her? If your house is on fire, are you expecting her to show up with a hose? Probably not, right? Or the president, he is commander-in-chief, but I don't think any of us, when we go to war, would expect him to strap on a weapon and, and get geared up and, and join on the front lines of the battle, would we? In fact, it would be foolish to expect those things because that's not what those leaders are there for. In this season of Advent, our theme is the name of that hymn we sang as our response to the forgiveness in place of the Gloria, the King shall come. And, and that's really what this whole season of Advent is, is pointing our eyes to, right? This season of preparation for his coming. Coming, that's what Advent means. So we stand alongside the Old Testament believers reading the prophecies of the Messiah who was to come and we look for the fulfillment of those promises in that baby in Bethlehem. We read the, the promises that God has made to us New Testament believers of Jesus coming again on the last day to judge the living and the dead like we talked about last week. And so the church dresses in blue and we lift our eyes to the skies from where our Savior will come. And all the while, we're here at worship, where our King comes to us in word and sacrament in ways no less miraculous than the other two. Our King comes. And our reading on this first Sunday in Advent, this first Sunday of the church here, tells us why He comes. It might strike you as a little odd as we're beginning this preparation for Christmas time to have a reading that is not the beginning of the story at the beginning of the church year. Right? You heard Vicar read it. That wasn't before Jesus was born. It was way after Jesus was born. In fact, the last week of his life. But the reason that that reading is appointed for this Sunday in the church year, the first, is because it tells us exactly why. Our king comes to us. Our king comes to save. You look at the details of his donkey ride into Jerusalem, and it becomes apparent his coming displays his purpose. And then you read the response of the crowds that day, and another thing becomes clear. His coming commands praise. So first, his coming displays his purpose. That begs an important question. What is his purpose? What is the purpose of, of the Messiah, the, the one that God promised? What did God promise him for? What are we looking for in the Messiah? Because I think that this is somewhere where we often get it wrong. <clears throat> right? In general, mankind is looking for a peaceful Messiah. Right? You ask any Miss Universe contestant, pet, 
any Miss Universe pageant contestant what the one thing they wish for is, and you know the answer, right? World peace. We all want someone who is going to just help everybody get along. The nation of Israel, the Jews of Jesus' day, they were looking for a political spiritual messiah. Right? They had all of those promises of the one who would come to break their chains and set them free. The one who would come to, to overthrow their enemies and to establish a kingdom. And so they translated that to mean one who would come and lead a military revolt against the Romans and reestablish an earthly kingdom like David's with one of David's descendants. That's what they were looking for. They missed the real reason God was sending a Messiah. But it's no better today. Generic Christianity today is looking for a teacher-slash-philosopher Messiah, right? Someone who will answer all of our deepest questions and give us insight into our, our purpose for life. Someone who will help us, you know, encourage us to feel good about our spiritual walk. But even we committed Christians sometimes miss it. We act like we are looking for our made-to-order Messiah, right? The one that, that fits our perception of, of what we need. <clears throat> so we look for a Messiah who doesn't get too worked up about the little sins that crop up in our lives, but certainly has something to say about those big sins that we see in others. We look for a Messiah who isn't expecting total dedication to him, but, but is happy with a loose association. We look for a Messiah who will answer our prayers and bless us, and, you know, give us those blessings, make sure that, that our life is blessed according to our definition of the term. Too often we're not looking for the king we see coming in our text. Which is why it's really nice that as you read our text, you see who is in absolute control of the situation. Look at those first six verses. His coming displays his purpose. No one can question who was in control here, right? Jesus told the disciples exactly where to go and what they would find when they got there and what the people would say to them and what they should say to those people and what those people would say in response and exactly what to do next, right? He, he knew exactly where there would be a donkey and not just a donkey but a colt, the foal of a donkey because that's what Zechariah had prophesied. You see, he knew why he was coming. He had come to do what God had promised, he had come to save. He was the one that was righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, like the prophecy said. He wasn't here to overthrow the Romans. He was here to overthrow sin. So he had come to fulfill every prophecy about the one who would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, like Isaiah had promised. In fact, three times on their way to Jerusalem for this feast, Jesus had pulled his disciples aside and told them exactly why he was going into Jerusalem, why they were going to that feast, so that Jesus could suffer and die and rise again. He knew his purpose. 
not to be a, a good teacher or to give us good feelings, but to be the one promised to save us from sin, death, and the devil. Do you understand the love it took to do that? Even as everybody was misunderstanding and, and having the wrong expectations, expectations of him, he came to save, to sacrifice so that we could be good with God forever. So that we, who, who so often selfishly look for a Messiah to fit our tastes, he came to save us, to forgive and to restore. What does that do to you? You look at our text and you see what Jesus did to the crowds. Seeing this prophecy-fulfilling, donkey-riding, miracle-working Jesus making his way to the capital city, they were excited. They offered him the, the symbols of honor and praise that were to be given to the Messiah, the, the cloaks on the road, the palm branches in hand. They spoke the words, they shouted the, the words of praise that were reserved for the Messiah, the one coming in the name of the Lord. They, they might not have known exactly what they were saying, but they were quoting God's word, Hosanna, save us. Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They were worshiping him. Now again, they, they clearly didn't fully understand what they were saying. They were calling on him to, to save us. Calling him the Savior God had promised. They called him the one coming in the name of the Lord. They were calling him the fulfillment of that prophecy that Vicar preached about on Thanksgiving. The, the one given to David of, of the eternal king coming. They were using those words. They were praising him. But, but here's the problem. Because they didn't fully understand what they were saying. Because they didn't fully get the purpose for the Messiah, their shouts of Hosanna were pretty short-lived. You know the story, by that Friday they changed to crucify him. Because he wasn't doing what they expected. He wasn't the kind of Messiah they were looking for. That could never happen to us, could it? I mean, we're, we're here praising God, praising our Messiah with, with the very same words they were. But I suppose we should ask the question, where do we fit in in this story? We've already said that all too often we're looking for the wrong thing in our Messiah. So how are we doing with how we receive our King? Not too long ago I had a conversation with a member who hasn't been here much lately and they told me that worship was just too boring. It didn't hold their attention. And it broke my heart. Because it means that I have absolutely failed in communicating what is actually going on here. I think all too often as Christians, we are attacked with the idea that when we come to worship, nothing very big is happening. Unless, of course, there's a, a traveling choir singing or we've got a festival or a trunk or treat or something like that. But, but on, on a regular Sunday, well, it's just regular. 
It's virtually the same thing we did last week and the week before that. Which means that we are not at all understanding what's going on here. In Advent, I mentioned that we're talking about the coming of our king as that baby in Bethlehem and the coming of our king on the last day. But not to be missed is what we're doing right here. Celebrating our king coming to us in word and sacrament. Here and now. You see, when God says something, it is. So we're, when two or three of us gather together here in his name, he is here with us. As the candles we light every week remind us. When we take a little bit of bread and a sip of wine, the very same God who with the very same power created the world by his word, he gives to us his own body and blood that he shed to pay for our sins. Next week when a splash of water hits little Carter Lane and Baylor Kate, that's right, heaven is opened. And God claims a child as his own. When, when we consider our songs of praise, the hymns that we sing, may we never let a tune we don't like or one we're not familiar with us distract us from what we are actually saying. Let's not be those crowds on that Palm Sunday. But let's consider what it is we are proclaiming. Think about it. Today we sang, lift up your heads, you mighty gates. Behold, the king of glory waits. The king of kings is drawing near. The savior of the world is here. Or in our hymn of the day, from the father's throne he came and ascended to the same. Captive, leading death and hell, high the song of triumph swell. We don't sing those things because they're catchy necessarily. We sing them because they praise our Messiah for who he really is. Our singing reminds us why he came. It strengthens our resolve to, to live lives praising him for everything because he came and brought the kingdom promised to David because he came to hosanna us, to save us from ourselves, from our selfishness, from our self-centeredness, from our sins. He came to save us for a life of singing his praise. The king comes to save and his coming displays his purpose, his very important purpose, and his coming compels our praise. So in our hearts, let's join our voices with those people in our text. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. In Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.